invite you to turn, oh, that's loud. I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 and following. We're going to be there in just a minute. Back in January of this year, I began a series on the Ten Commandments. You remember that? Seems like a long time ago, doesn't it? And then on March 8th, I preached on the Sixth Commandment, and then we had something called the coronavirus, COVID-19, and we were quarantined, and we decided, I decided that it would, I'd like to preach from this morning, picking up where we left off on the Seventh Commandment. Uh, I want to stop, and I want to look back, and I want to actually summarize what Jesus said is how you sum up the whole law, all Ten Commandments. Before we do that, I want to, I, I need to get you, I don't usually do this, I need your participation, I need you to help me with remembering what the Ten Commandments are. Do you know, do you know what they are? Can, you, can some of you name some of them? Let's see if we can get all ten. Okay, I need, just like if we were on a Wednesday night or in Sunday school, just, just blurt it out or tell me. Okay, what's... No other gods. There's one. That's actually the first one. We don't have to go in order, but or we could, or maybe we'll go in order. What's the second one? No graven image. Let's go to the third one. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. The fourth one. Sabbath day. Fifth one. Honoring father and mother. Uh, sixth one. You shall not murder. Thank you, Molly. <laughs> Seventh one. No. You shall not commit adultery. I, I believe it's bear false witness. The eight and nine, I get a little confused. Bear false witness. Steal. What's the last one? Number 10. You shall not covet. You shall not covet. Did okay. We'll, we'll work on that. Do you love the law of God? That's what the Ten Commandments are, a summary of the moral law. They're not, it's not the whole law. But would you say, I love the law? Does that sound strange to you? You see, we are not only to know the law of God or His commandments. We are not only to know them. We are not only to do them. We are to love them. We could say it this way. We are not only to know the standard and do the standard of God. We are to love the standard of God. Can you say with the psalmist, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day long. Or like the psalmist in Psalm 119, I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things 
or even one of them in particular. We wanna, I want to talk about the first half of them this morning in with one specific command. But I, I, set, I want us to under, think through this a little bit. The Ten Commandments, the moral law of God, are gifts of wisdom and insight from a saving God to a saved people. They are not a ladder in which we get to salvation. We do not get saved by keeping the Ten Commandments. They are wisdom and love from a gracious, saving God who has already saved His people. They are commands from the Lord of the universe. They're not mere suggestions. Therefore, we take them seriously. We can no more defy God's law and be successful in it than to jump out, than to defy the law of gravity jumping out of a plane without a parachute and think that things can go well. The Ten Commandments, or God's law, is the revelation of God's will. It shows us His character, who He is, His holiness. And it is not just some minimalistic checklist of do's and don'ts. They go deep, and they go deep to the heart, as we'll see in the coming weeks. They are a call to love God with all our hearts and to enjoy Him. They're not just a mere legal code. And I'll tell you this, lastly, they are meant to humble us. As we read, as we ponder God's law, we should be honest and fall on our knees and say, Oh God, I cannot live up to this. I need your grace. I need your help. It is with this that I want to read to you Matthew twenty-two thirty-four. 34. And following, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, asked Jesus a question, in order to test him. Teacher, he said, which is the, comm- which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. This great commandment in which all of the law, including the Ten Commandments, depend. Next Sunday, Lord willing, we're going to look at the second, which is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. You realize, historically and throughout the history of the church, for the last 2,000 years especially, and I think it even goes back in, he, in the, before Christ's time, they divided the law into two tables, they called it. Two tablets. Like the two tablets that came from Mount Sinai, but they called it the two tablets in the law. And one tablet, one table of the law, they called it, or tablet of the law, and one ta- the second tablet, the first tablet of the law, with laws or instructions given to man in our relationship with God. We could say, we are to love God with all our heart, table one. The second table is our relationships to other people, table number two, love your neighbor as yourself. So, commandments like Love no other gods before me. No graven images. 
Do not take his name in vain. Keep the Sabbath day holy for his sake. We're all all about under the umbrella of loving God with everything. And then honor your parents. Do not steal. Do not commit adultery. Do not covet other people's things. Do not lie. All these things under the second table. This morning we're looking at the first table. Love God. There is nothing more fundamental to the Christian life. To life, the calling of all human beings is to love God. My call to you this morning is to love God. God calls you and me to love Him. Jesus said it right here. You shall love the Lord your God with all. All your heart. All your soul. All your mind. He adds in Luke, when he says it to another person, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You realize that God calls you, whether you think of it that or not today, to love Him. To actually love Him. This is the most fundamental basic call in the Old Testament. All Hebrew Israelites would learn this when they were probably almost babies. And growing up, they learned this phrase. They heard, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. And the Lord, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. That was ingrained into the psyche, the, the discipline, the training of every single child. This is our duty. This is our call. Joshua, when he comes into the land, says, Be careful to observe all the commandments of the law that Moses, the servant, has commanded you to love the Lord your God and to walk in His ways. God calls His people to love Him. Joshua said at the end of Joshua, Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. Friends, Do you love God? Say that to myself. Do I love God? It's a bold claim. I love God. I love Him. Are you willing to say, let your life speak testimony of that bold declaration and claim? Or is it, could it be, I'm for God when He's nice to me. And I go to church, so I, I guess I love God. I asked Jesus in my heart, so I must love God. I was baptized. I give, or I give occasionally. I must love God. I try to be a good person. Christianity, so I must love God. I guess a real important question is to not assume what we mean by loving God. So, I, I want to I dig in with you for just a few minutes and wrestle with the question of what is loving God? What does it mean to love God? You have, hopefully you got your notes this morning. When you got it, came in, you should have got a bulletin. On the back of the bulletin, you have sermon notes. And I put a three-line definition here. Because I want you to have it. I want you to be able to put it in your Bible. I want you to think about it. Because that each word matters, each phrase matters. It's a threefold. You can see that because there's three parentheses in the, or 
He has three parentheses in there, but look with me at this. What does it mean to love God? Love for God is a God-given devotion to Him. Surrender. That's a surrender that's fueled by God-given desires for Him. Savoring. Based upon a God-given conviction that He is our supreme good. See. Just ponder that for a minute. Love for God is a devotion for Him. But that devotion comes from a heart that has been impacted that says, I want Him. I love Him. I desire Him and delight in Him. But where in the world do you get desire and delight in the first place? It's not until you actually see Him. And when I say see Him, I mean in spiritual eyes. So my sermon this morning is is to simply say to us as a church, oh, that love the Lord your God. But by doing that, I want to call you to these three things. Surrender, savoring. When I say savoring, I mean like when you, you, you see that steak and you're really hungry. Usually the word savor has to do with like hunger. And you see that and you savor it for it. You desire it. You're, mar- you just des- it's, you're not emotionless when you see that steak. You're very excited. You want that steak or that burger or whatever it is that you love to eat. God intends for us and even uses metaphors in the Bible of eating that God's people long for God. Is that, is that even in the categories of your life? That, that is in the fighter verse. Whom have I in heaven but you? There is none on earth that I desire besides you. That's savoring. But we don't savor what we don't see or smell. I guess using the food metaphor, smell or have some connection that that is really good in my supreme good. So let's look at these this morning. Seeing, if, if the, if we're going to, my definition, love for God is a God-given devotion to Him, surrender, fueled by a God-given desires for Him, savoring based on a God-given conviction that He is our supreme good, goes from fruit to root. The fruit of a loving God is surrender to God. The root of it comes from because we desire Him, because we see Him rightly. And it is my prayer, friends, brothers and sisters, that you and I would see Him more clearly this morning. That is a miracle of God when He does it. That's why if you look at this definition, you see it's a God-given, God-given, God-given. So I'm going to preach for a couple minutes And I pray that it would be a God-given transaction of our hearts, including my heart, as I preach on the love of God, our loving God, that He would move our hearts to savor Him and be surrendered to Him because we see Him. So let me start with showing you your duty. Your duty is to love God. Number one, surrender. Your duty is to surrender. Love for God means I am growing to be fully devoted to Him. You cannot answer the definition of loving God without saying, if I love God, I'm going to give myself to Him. 
He's mine. I surrender. When, Paul, when Moses was saying this to the people of Israel, when God was telling Moses to love, he was meaning, you, you're abandoned completely to me. You surrender all of you. You belong to me. What I tell you, you do. You're going to surrender your life. And that's why he uses such absolute superlative language like, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Not just some of it. He says, with all, there's a type of love that God, God commands that we have an all type of love that goes all to God. If I, if I and you are to love God with all, how much does that leave, how much leftover is that for loving other things? The answer is there's nothing left over for that kind of love. Oh, we use love in all kinds of sense kind of senses. We love our family. We are to love them truly. But there is, type, there is to be a type of love to our God that is unique and different. Allegiance, devotion to God. Do you love God in a way that you are fully surrendered to Him? You know, to be a Christ follower, a Christian, that is what it means to become a Christian, is to become a full-out, surrendered disciple of Jesus, saying, I see Jesus, and I'm going to follow Him. We say, we say it in other ways. We say, we believe on the name of the Lord. But to believe on the name of the Lord means, I abandon all other allegiances, and I trust in Him fully, that He is so good, and why would I choose anything else? Jesus said in Luke 9.23, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, surrender himself, Take up his cross and follow me. We are called to surrender. We are called to dedication. We are called to commitment all out. God is one. When, God, when Israel learned that, and we are to hear that, God is one and our allegiances are to not to be divided. It is not, God, you get the biggest piece of the pie of my life, but I have other slices out there. I have my family life. I have my personal hobbies life, I have my career life, I have my retirement life, I have my video game life, I have my social media life, all of those, they're on the same track. No, he says, you have no room for anything else to have an allegiance to me like this. Now, all of those other things may be in your life, but they're going to be all subservient. They're going to come under a greater loyalty and allegiance that is, you love me with all your heart. He says, this way, you're to love me with all your heart. That is the core person of who I am. My desires, my delights, what I think, what I put inside my life, all my soul. It's that part which never dies. Really, in many ways, soul and heart are almost identical in meaning. With all our mind, that means my education, that means my reading, the things I put in, the things I discipline my mind for is to be with all, I am to love God in my, all my mind and all my strength. I think it's another way of saying all our endeavors, all our ways are to be surrendered to God. I surrender God to your glory, your will, your way with my desires. It means the one that loves God says, God, I give you my desires, I give you my money, I give you my children, I give you my singleness, I give you my marriage, my sexuality, my comfort, my career, and my hobbies, my family, 
All of those are for you. That means that I need to love you with all of those things. I am to love you with every one of those aspects of my life. I am to be surrendered to you. And what I think that can mean is my allegiance is I want you to look good, not me primarily. If I'm to look good, it's only so that you will look greater. I, want, I love your glory. I mean it when I pray the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. I'm, loving God means I surrender all to you. I have nothing left over for this kind of devotion. Yes, it leads to love to other people. Yes, it leads to rich endeavors in a lot of ways. Creativity. And care, but it's all with the type of devotion that says, all for God. He, he, to Him be the glory and to the praise. And this kind of surrender has for 2,000, I should say for 5,000 years, has moved people to take risks in deep, radical love. This kind of surrender leads people to the mission field. This type of love for God says goodbye to family and all American comforts and goes and spends decades on a field that's uncomfortable and difficult and far from family, risking health and definitely wealth with God at the center, trusting in Him because He's watching over us. He cares for us. His agenda is our agenda. It leads, to our education. It leads us in our educational choices. It leads us in our family schedules. It leads us in a priority of family of God, in the family of God, the church. It leads us to a devotion to this book. Love for God this way with this devotion leads to a prayer life that says, I need to know this God. I need to walk with Him. I need to seek Him in this Word, and I need people to help me. It leads to devotion to people like within a local church where you're committed to one another and you care. But you do it because you love God. And it leads to the ability to forgive other people because God has commanded you to. And anything He commands you to, you see, love for God is an all-out commitment to say, I will obey you, God. I will obey your will. I will do what you want me to do. I will work my job so that you will get glory. As long as you get glory, my mission is fulfilled because my, I am surrendered to all-out devotion to you. That is part of loving God. Now, that's the fruit of loving God. No one starts, though, in a harvest by the vine and root structure. That is the fruit of loving God. And so I ask, where does this surrender come from? Is loving God another way of saying, you just have to have real strong willpower and you just are committed to God? No. It comes from a desire for God. A delight in God. A savoring God. And I could sit here and I can parent my five kids and I can pastor a church and you can live, and I cannot flip a switch to bring about the second thing that I'm going to say. Number two, savoring. Love for God means that I desire God for his own sake. So in the first, I show you your duty. The second is I'm going to call you to delight or desire God. I call you to delight and desire God with 
all your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. But when we delight ourselves in God, things change. Do you, friends? I just want, to, I want, to, I want you to think about this for a second. Ask yourself, do you desire God? Have you ever thought of it that way? Say, what do you mean desire God for what? No, desire God. Like, I want God. Not what he gives me. I want God. I want to know him. If, if I, in my marriage, said, I desire Molly because she makes me feel good. That's why I love her. You'd say, that's, a, that's, that's insulting. You should love her because you love her. Because, yes, you, you appreciate her, all these things about her, but you love her for her sake. And ultimately, we put the Christian answer for God's sake, because God has called you to love your wife. But we are to love, do you desire God? Not just because of what he gives you, but for himself's sake. Do you delight in him as the greatest treasure? Surrender that I just talked about happens because we find a treasure. And we say, nothing compares. I'm able to surrender all things to my life because I just want Jesus. I just want God. I need Him. I found Him. Listen to the way the godly in the Bible talk throughout history. They don't talk as just rational, dedicated, diligent, definitely not pagan or other religions followers who just do what delight in Him with all their heart. Psalm 73, 25 and 26. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Our fighter verse. My flesh and my heart may fail, but the Lord is my portion forever. Or Psalm 42. As a deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for you. I want to thirst for God more. Do you? This is the, this is the heart cry of loving God. It's, it's an affections that care and delight in God. Or Psalm 27. I mean, you could just go psalm after psalm. Psalm 27. The psalmist talks about how evildoers are like destroying him. Um, at least they're attacking him like crazy. They, they want to eat up his flesh. They have adversaries and foes. He says, though an army encamps against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord. This is what I seek after. Now, what is, what is the psalmist going to say? One thing have I asked of the Lord. This is what I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to acquire in the goodness of God. And I just want to see His beauty. I want to know Him. I want to be with Him. You see, the work of the gospel, the work of Christianity in our hearts, in obedience, no doubt, but joyful, heart-liberated, growing joy because we grow to love God. The psalmist says, You are the Lord. I have no good besides you. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You fill my lot. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand 
our pleasures forevermore. And that's why the Apostle Paul can write in a prison, a jail, a jail cell, in the letter of Philippians, and write about rejoicing and say, for me to live is Christ. And if I die, it's gain. I don't know what I want. I, I want to stay here so I can minister to more people, but to die is to be with Christ, which is far better, because you see, for him, God had become his love. He loved God in the fact that he savored him. He desired him. He delighted in him. He counted all things as lost in this world that he may know Christ. Loving God means we are growing to desire him. Are you growing to desire him? Here's some questions to diagnose it. Am I growing to desire God himself over things other than over all other things, do I choose him first? Am I content to lose anything but God? That's a hard one. Or could I be content to have everything else in this world but not God? How do I feel when things separate me from enjoying God? Like sin. Do I hate sin? Those that love God are growing to actually hate sin because it disconnects us to God. Do I love what God loves and I hate what God hates? I, I, I hate evil. Not that I'm a hater of evil people. I love evil people because I love because God's love is in me. But I hate evil and what it does to people. And I, I hate that it grieves God. Or like 1 John 4 says, I cannot love God. Don't say you love God if you hate your brother. Because God's love is not in you. If you really love God, you're going to love other people. Do I want others? Do I deeply want others? My neighbors, my friends, my family, my children, my coworkers, my classmates my friends that I connect with in gaming, whatever it is, do I really desire for them to know my God that I love? Do I really, am I, do I so desire for others to have the same love? Am I willing to do what this God tells me to do no matter the cost? Do I desire God? Do I, please, we are to beg for desire to him. It's where it starts. We say, God, would you please, would you give me a desire? I pray, I pray that Sunday mornings are a way of kindling desire for God. I pray that as the music plays and we sing songs, our hearts would be kindled towards a love for God. And I pray that you and I, as we hear God's word, he would so help us to desire him. Kids, young people, teenagers, our desire and our prayers for you to grow up and live your lives not just as moral people following a standard of a book, of a religion, and you keep pretty clean, and, but live for how you want to live, except follow some standards. I pray that you will live with a deep love and a passion for God welling up in you, leading you to obey, but because God has come and shown himself as so beautiful, which is the third and final point. If this is the root of it all, for me to truly savor, for you to truly savor God and therefore be surrendered to God, 
I, I'll never forget as a 10th grader going with my parents out west and we went to the Grand Canyon. I'd heard about the Grand Canyon, seen pictures of the Grand Canyon. And I remember driving up to the Grand Canyon area, got to the park. You, couldn't, you actually couldn't see the Grand Canyon until you really got to that landing point or wherever it was at the park. And then you saw it. And I lost my breath, literally. I, I savored it because I saw it. And when I saw it, I couldn't help but savor it when I saw it rightly. If I was blind, I wouldn't have lost my breath. If I had no eyesight, I wouldn't have been, able to, I wouldn't have been awed by it. I was awed by it. There is a type of seeing God like we need to see Him that when we see Him, it leads to delighting and wanting Him. It's like if you were here a couple months ago when I preached the parable of the, the treasure in a field. My son Barnabas just got a metal detector. It's our dream to go through a field someday and find the hidden treasure uh, of, you know, maybe some hit of the, you know, some union that they hide something in a field or something like that that we have. And Jesus tells a story about a man who finds a treasure in a field and enjoy, he covers it up and enjoy, he sells everything he has because that treasure is so amazing and he buys the field. You see, seeing, loving, love for God means that I believe with my heart, I believe truly with my spiritual eyes that he is my supreme good. Love surrenders our devotion to God because we savor him above all, and there's no way we'll savor him above all until we see him. And it is the Holy Spirit that gives us sight. I have prayed that right now the Holy Spirit will give sight. There might, you might be here this morning, and you are not yet saved. I, I'm surprised how often I talk with people and I say, do you know that if you died today, that you would be in heaven with God? And so often they say, I don't really know that for sure. And, and the reason why they don't know that for sure is because they have not truly put their faith and trust in Christ and asked Him to save them and that God has given them a new heart to see God in this way. I pray that in just the last five minutes, God will do a work in your life to see Him like He really is and that you will turn to Him and be saved. And though most of you in this room are if you're like me, and I think you probably are, we constantly need to grow in seeing him rightly and having our hearts rekindled to love him that we may be devoted fully to him. You see, it is God's spirit that opens our eyes. He shines light into darkness and gives us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. And so, friend, would you see love him? You are to love him. I am to love him, God. We love him only because he first loved us and sent his son to die for us. So hear this. Love the God who made the heavens and earth and all that is within him. Love the God who is father to all who accepts and trusts and surrenders to his son, Jesus. Love the God who sent his only son to suffer the most cruel of injustices, dying on a cross for sinners, to res rescue and forgive people just like you and me.
Love the God who is holy, sinless, perfect in every way. Love the God who has mercy on sinners who come to Him. Love the God who is just and will not will pour out His wrath on all injustices and all sin and all rebellion someday. Love the God who gives His Spirit to those who embrace His Son. Love the God who adopts us as children and never stops doing good for us. Love the God who is the source of all wisdom and knowledge and beauty and communication and understanding of justice and virtue and love. Love the God who poured out His wrath against sins on our behalf on His Son, Jesus. Love the God who works all things for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Love the God who is committed to making new children like Jesus to be beautiful in spiritual holiness. Love the God who does not save those who earn His favor by loving Him enough, but He gives us a love that we could never muster on our own. Love the God who will make all things new. Love the God who will wipe away all tears. Love the God who gave us a mission to share this love with our kids with your co-workers and neighbors. Love the God who is building His church, the body of Christ. Love the God who gives us a family and a church, binding us together in true love and belonging. Love the God who gives us the Bible so that we can know Him and see Him and grow to delight in Him and be surrendered to Him. Love the God who gives us the gift of prayer that any time we can take all our burdens, all our praises, all our anxieties and hurts to Him, and He hears and answers in His good timing. Love the God who picks us up, forgives us, restores us when we fall, when we fail to love, which we do, but confess and ask Him for help and forgiveness. Love the God who's near the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Love the God of the fatherless and widow and painfully divorced. Love the God who saves prostitutes and the greatest of sinners and the sexually messed up. Those He rescues the greatest sinners. The God who saves the self-righteous but humbles the proud. Love the God who has an ear and heart for the poor and needy. Love the God who will someday raise the dead because he rose Jesus from the dead. Love the God who defeated Satan on the cross and will someday remove all sin and satanic oppression. Love the God who grants you and me grace and repentance, faith, in which, a part which we could never Love Him, and we'd be in spiritual deadness. Love the God who suffered for us and uses suffering for our good. He never wastes our suffering. Love the God who's the same yesterday and today and forever. Love the God who upholds the whole universe by the word of His power. Love the God who clothes the flower of the fields with such care, and He'll do the same for you. Love the God who will not allow a hair of your head to fall to the ground and die apart from His care. Love the God who has numbered your days and who will someday you will give an account to. Love the God who will never separate Himself from the love of His children. Not death, nor life, 
nor waters, or fire, or Satan, or sickness, sin, or ourselves can separate us from that love. So hear, O people, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, that God, with all your strength, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. What could be better? This command is a gift. Oh, that we would see and savor and surrender. Maybe for the first time you'll do that. Or you will continue to do that. Wait on Him. Beg Him for this grace. And thank Him. Let's pray. Father, I pray. That by your all that we would do, I pray that all our actions would be driven by a God-given surrender, savoring, and 